Good evening, afternoon, morning. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, welcome back to episode two of the Silicon Vets Gaming Podcast. I am your co-host, Trevor. Hi, everyone. I'm Ken. All right. And today we're going to talk about cyberpunk because Kenny wanted to talk about cyberpunk. And Definitely. I like making my friends happy, so we're going to talk about cyberpunk. Uh, a little bit of housekeeping out of the way. Um, t- I'm using a different mic. I noticed on the audio on the first episode, there was a little bit of popping, and the levels were not quite as good as they could have been, so I'm using a different mic this time. I apologize if there's a little bit more reverb or echo. My office is kind of barren with regards to soundproofing, so there's going to be some echo and reverb, but hopefully we won't have any pops, and hopefully the audio overall audio quality for this episode will be significantly higher than the first one. So if you suffered through the first one, thank you. We appreciate you, but hopefully this one will be a little bit less painful of an experience. So with that said, I also apologize for the delay. Unfortunately, uh, life is very inconsiderate when it comes to podcasting schedules and life just generally doesn't really give a shit about when we want to podcast. So very, we very... will we will work to be better on that because we we definitely want to want to get out there and have lots of uh, silly video game things to say. So yeah, so thanks for your patience. Yep, and uh, without further ado, let's get the show on the road. Um, today we're talking about cyberpunk and how it's basically. I mean, at this point, unless you've been living under a rock, I think everybody who's listening to a gaming podcast knows what Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven is. And I think most people are pretty much, I think the consensus is it is easily one of the biggest AAA gaming misfires in game history. Um, so I don't think it's a bad game. How about you, no, Ken? No, no. no, it's, it is a good game. Uh, and all right, close to great. It depends if you're a fanboy of that style of game. And if you're inclined to give CD Projekt Red, uh, way too much benefit of the doubt as i'm certainly guilty of doing due to the i'd say residual goodwill from the witcher 3 um good game fun game it will kind of forever live under the shadow of what it was sold as and what it could have been and i i look forward to with cautious optimism what it will be in i don't know 18 months or so but you know looking at kind of what we have been expecting for years there is there's a few gaps i think we're going to address those tonight yeah, I, I think the, the best way I would put it is it's not a bad game. It's just not a great one either. And it, I'm I'm eternally reminded of, I believe it's uh, Shigeru Miyamoto, the creator of Mario. Is, is, it, the quote is attributed to him, whether or not he actually said it. But, you know, people will forget that a game was late. They will never forget if it was bad. And, it, or, you know, it's sort of like this, this idea of... of you can delay a game as long as you want, as long as the final product is great. People will only remember that it was great. But if you launch it early and it's bad or it has issues, then they never forget that it has issue. It had issues. So I think the, the big thing for Cyberpunk was obviously, one, the launch game had issues with a capital I. And two, uh, there was a huge disconnect between the marketing and the final product. Um and speaking of uh and on that note i actually just thought about something else i wanted to say that i'm going to add into 
the outline here real quick. So I'm going to kick it over to Kenny while I type and say, Kenny, uh, let's talk about what we liked. Tell me about what you liked. Sure. So, I mean, for, first act was solid. We, we liked the game for if we take all the expectations aside and just look at it, look at it as an action-adventure, shoot-em-up, futuristic-based, it, it was fun. You know, it, it's fun to shoot the bad guys. Uh, some of the techniques are really neat. The guns are, are fun. You know, the, the shooting combat is, I'd say, nothing nothing groundbreaking, but was a, a gr really good time. And, yeah, it's just a fun game. It's a gorgeous game. Uh, if, if you were to, you know, get whatever the latest hardware running that ray tracing, it is very, very pretty. And that's, I mean, unfortunately, that's where it ends. It was a great game, enjoyed playing it, but um, I'm afraid it, it's even almost a little bit forgettable. You know, I, I put 150, 170 hours into it, definitely had a good time for each one of those. And, you know, now it's kind of there. We'll probably revisit the, whether it's the replay value a little bit later on. But, yeah, it was a, a fun game. Yeah. Uh, now, I, I'll, full disclosure, I did not finish the game. I put about 40, 50 hours into it, and then I gave up. Um, because I had issues with some of the bugs that I encountered. And we'll, we're not going to harp on the bugs for a full hour. Ever At this point, everybody knows the game was buggy. Um, I know how hard it is to build software. I'm not going to sit here and, 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 and you know, badmouth people over the bugs. That, that, that horse has been beaten to death. But I am going to touch on them, right? I am going to touch yeah, on them because I think that they are extremely important in... in they're extremely important specifically to this game. They're specifically damaging for a particular reason that we will get into. Um, overall, I think, I mean, Kenny and I have talked offline a little bit about this, and we both really enjoyed the first act of the game, and we felt like the first act was kind of the, um, was the closest the game got to actually reaching its potential. It's the clo It was the closest to looking at the game and going yes okay i see what you guys are trying to do and this is pretty cool yeah you were you were building up your cred you're becoming that night city legend you your choices your actions have consequences uh at the time you're still at optimism that you'll have the the customization you're getting cool gear it, it's heading in the right direction and then it definitely yeah and that it just kind of falls off um yeah, yeah. And I mean, the, the, and I think this is, this is sort of one of our, I guess, well, I guess that, that gets into the stuff we don't, we didn't like. So let's, let's talk about some more stuff. I mean, obviously you mentioned you, you, I have not played it with ray tracing. Um, I am a lowly peasant. I do not have an RTX card. Um, so I have not seen it with ray tracing on. Kenny has, uh, I've seen enough video footage that like, Yes, there's a difference. I, th I think a lot of people are overselling the difference personally based on what I saw, but it it's certainly there. Um, yeah, it's certainly not ugly on the last-gen hardware. Now, I think the first uh, 100 or so hours, remember, I was I was playing on my backup 1070 because my 1080, I took a, a really, really poor time to die. So even with the, the 1070 hardware, it is a good-looking game. It's pretty, minus you know the occasional ridiculous bugs the, the game itself is is gorgeous even on all the hardware as long as it's running if you bring on the newer stuff sure it's that much better but you know i think we I, I don't think we'll fault the graphics at all at any part um i'll fault some of the i'll, I'll fault, fault some of it i personally think the screen space reflections on the non 
ray traced version are really grainy and kind of like I, I think the I think my biggest complaint with the game is the graininess of the visuals. Like they're it has I get that they're going for this oversaturated look and that's cool and and Polish developers in general seem to really like that kind of filmic grain saturation because I notice that Dying Light uh, which is a completely different game completely different genre but also developed by a Polish development studio on its own proprietary engine just like Cyberpunk and CD Projekt Red they have a very similar kind of visual aesthetic to them. Um, so it's, uh, I don't know if it's its something in the water in Warsaw or what, but they really like that grainy look. And I must admit, I was not the hugest fan of it. Um, but I think overall, the game, when the game opens up, like when the reflections are going and when the, the neon lighting and everything is going, it is a very beautiful game. And that gets into one of the big things about the game atmosphere this is a game that lives and dies on its atmosphere it lives and dies on creating that sense of immersion that that sense of you are not playing a video game you are you are there you are in night city and we'll come back to this point because it's a double-edged sword that ultimately for me ended up ruining a lot of my play experience but i wanted to give credit where credit is due when it works the atmosphere in this game is phenomenal so um yeah so then let's talk about uh let's talk about the side quests what do you think of those ken I think the side quests for me were more memorable than a lot of the, the main storyline. Um, and I think you can also tell that whenever decisions were made, whenever the storyline, main storyline, we're, we're, we'll get into that later, but assuming that there was a you know yank everything out rewrite at some point, you can tell a few of the side quests were something that, that really mattered to somebody, that, that it was an idea that existed long before, and, and they made it work. Uh, the Delamain quest line with the you know, off the off the reservation uh, taxi cabs was incredible, hilarious. I, I had to run out of my office and try to explain why I was laughing so hard to my girlfriend, who was a better sport about it than I could really expect, and then I had to run back in and continue playing. Um, uh, the, the Cineran quest, of course, I don't think you got to play that one, Trevor. That one, I'm still trying to figure out what exactly the, the message was, so to speak, but it was definitely one of those hits you in the gut, just... Most of the side quests, and I'm probably like that with any RPG, I enjoy the, you know, skip the main storyline, let's go have fun type thing for, for these type of games. And I think the vast majority of the side quests were a lot of fun, even the short ones. Every Just about every side quest you've got, there is a little story. You know, you can go in, just shoot the bad guys, run out. But, you know, there's clues here and there. You can kind of figure out why these particular guys are here, kind of why they need shooting, and why everything is such a mess for even the, the short ones, so... I overall side quests, I, I give them high marks. I don't feel like uh, I didn't get my money's worth there. Yeah, I, I think I, I would agree with you. I think the side, I think some of the side, I think some of the side quests were were some of the strongest writing and kind of world building in the game. Um, the 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 quest involving the sentient or the yeah the 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 vending machine that achieves sentience was hilarious. The the Delamain taxi one was also amazing. Um, they definitely had a good team working on the side quests. 
I think my one complaint with the side quest was mostly that a lot of the... Or let me phrase that. The side quests were really fun, so, but the game also has these things called jobs, which are kind of mini quests, I guess. Like if the if the, the si- gigs, right? Yeah, the gigs, if yeah. you will. And I, I, I was wrong. Gigs and side quests were one the same to me. But go ahead. Well, I see. I I, I draw the line. I I just I, I draw a distinction there because to me the side quests were fun. They often had great writing, a sense of humor, and they really did a great job of kind of fleshing out the world. The gigs to me were awful. The gigs were very basic. Just go to a spot, kill people. Go to a spot, steal a thing. Go to a spot, kill more people. Go to a spot, hack this computer, drop something off over here. Like the gigs did not sell me on the uh, the world or the game really, and I don't think they did them. They did it any favors, and that. Um, that will actually get in. We'll, we'll get into a little bit more in, in in our next section. But I think the side quests were definitely stronger than the main quest. Though I admit I did like the main quest. What I played of it, um, I tend to play games a little bit differently than Ken. Ken is content to go run around in Skyrim for a thousand hours and just kind of make his own adventure, whereas I tend to gravitate towards a more curated um, experience. If that makes sense. Um, I guess what I would have liked to have seen from the side quests is, well, actually, we'll get into that in the next section. So let's go ahead and get into this next section. Can I fight you on these side quests though? Because, uh, yeah, how do, I, how do I put this? Yeah, the the loop was repetitive. But what I was just saying with the the side quests and the gigs, every most of the gigs had a little story to them. Now some are certainly better than others, but an explanation of you know why you're dropping the malware on this computer, why you're stealing this one thing, and uh, you know, the, this ones that turned into a reported crime or something like that. You know, you had, um, there's one where I guess father son team, illicit brain dances, things like that. Where you, and obviously, spoiler alert, but I think we knew that going in. You know, you can make the option to just cap them both and you feel really good at the end of that. Just and they're the kind of the, the quick bites type. And you know, me with, with games, games that take 20 minutes to get to the point tend to lose me, you know, far before that, that 20 minute mark. And, the, the side the the gigs the reported crimes any of those sort of you know random quests on the map type activities I like being able to just knock out a couple of those have some fun and then you know save game sign off go get dinner or something like that I, I never really felt like my time was wasted by those I don't think I mean and I think that that's a great point and I think it comes down to a matter of why I I, I think it's a great illustrative point as to why cyberpunk has been slightly controversial as a title. Because for the very same reasons that you enjoyed those, I dislike them. They feel like a chore. They feel like errands. And I don't play video games to run errands. And so the gigs for me often felt very much like, oh, hey, here's your generic open world environment. It's the same thing we saw in Ghost Recon Wildlands. It's the same thing we see in Assassin's Creed games. Um, here's a list of different icons, go to them, shoot some things, take some things, check it off your list and move on. Picking on my beloved Wildlands here, of course. Yeah. And, and I enjoy Wildlands for what it is, but I also would argue it's not, again, this goes back to the marketing hype. It's not what was promised. Like that's not, that's not, that's not game or that's game breaking. No, that's not groundbreaking. 
that is not the the RPG experience to end all RPG experiences that was promised. And so that's where that disappointment falls in. I also, me personally, and I think a lot of this is my own ADHD, I have a very hard time with games that were structured like that. I begin to, you know, I lose interest every time I log off having not completed something or not progressed a story, I lose a little bit of interest in the game. And so I tend to do the games that really just, you know, suck me in for the most part tend to be games that are more like your classic Zelda structure um, or FromSoft games in particular. It's a Dark Souls, Sekiro, that stuff. Because I like being sucked into the world and immersed in it and exploring it without it feeling like one of the great things about uh, one of the great things about FromSoft games is because they don't have a map like none of the, the none of the games have maps you you avoid that kind of opening up the map and just seeing all these icons like the the the, the diarrhea of icons all over your screen and and so when you explore and you find things in dark souls it feels significantly more rewarding because you had no idea that that was there, if that made sense. If that makes sense. And I, and part of me would have wondered if I would have liked some of the gigs and stuff better if instead of seeing them on my map, I literally just was exploring the city and I turned the corner and there's a shootout happening at the diner between the cops and some, uh, some mercs that just decided to take over the parking lot and right on the spot you have to choose do you want to get involved or do you want to walk away i i think i would do that with the badges though i feel like those are more randomly generated i mean the implementation's poor because you try to help and somehow you always wind up getting both sides shooting at you but well yeah they, so... they try to do that just poorly yeah it just didn't quite work but um let's and go scrub. I, I love the icons so this yeah. will be a good continuation of us arguing over that sort of thing because call me lazy but i like knowing exactly where i need to go for that next mission it's not la- it's not lazy it's a different it's a difference in taste um it, it i there, there there there's an art to it again like i'm i know that the FromSoft games are not everyone's cup of tea and i and i respect that and i would never I, i'm not gonna do I, i'm not gonna talk i'm not gonna speak ill of any of, of different sort of styles i'm just gonna say that for many of the reasons that you enjoyed those i disliked them so let's get uh on that let's go into what we didn't like um as much with the game and i'm just going to kick it off i thought the core gameplay loop was incredibly shallow and it was nothing that we haven't already seen before i think that was the biggest disappointment for me okay and while true i mean we we were expecting the the heir apparent to i'll say a skyrim and a gta online type thing i what sort of were we expecting the the gameplay itself to be as groundbreaking as just more we're using the word groundbreaking way too much but i that's what they sold the game as so fine we'll we'll be it to death um but the fact that the actual gameplay loop was shallow i think isn't as much of an issue as that the RPG elements that we thought were there were so not there. And that's probably heavily on what, what I didn't like, you know, it sold create your own legend, become a legend in night city. Uh, the style I mean, literally style over substance, you get credit, you get um, interaction with the world. They care how you dress in reality. You're going to look like a goofball. If you care about your stats, if you don't, maybe you can get some reasonable uh, 
you know, make make your awesome cars, mansions, make make everything, build Night City in the way you want it. Take it over, build your character, and rather than that, you know, after the the first the first act ends, and it all becomes kind of an exercise in nihilism anyway, right? So, you're dead. There's no point. There's nothing to take over. There's no real growth thing, and really the whole storyline is get this semi-computer virus thing out of my head because it's killing me. Yeah. So well, and, and, I liked the game. I didn't like the story. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. And the story, again, we, I mean, the story is, I liked what I saw. And again, I, I admit I have not finished. I didn't reach the conclusion. I believe I stopped right after they find the AI out in the dark web kind of thing. That That's kind of where I, I hit the wall with the bugs. Um, but the, uh, the, 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 when I mean the core gameplay loop is, is shallow. I mean, it's, again, it's, it's Wildlands, it's Horizon Zero Dawn, it's Assassin's Creed Odyssey, uh, go to a spot, do a thing, collect your bounty, you know, turn it in, get some, get some XP. Um, there was no, like, some of the things that were promised were things like dynamic gangs like that you can like affiliate with certain parties and if you hated that that didn't happen yeah if you affiliated with one party it would change your standing with another and it it, when i heard about stuff like that it reminded me of uh shadow of mordor um the the uh, middle earth shadow of mordor game that launched early in the generation that that that's a, a really high decent assassin's creed clone but one of its claims to fame was this nemesis system where as you battled with these uh key npcs they would react and and um they would react and kind of learn your a little bit about you and from your play style and they would change based on events that happened in the game and it, it, it did a really good job of making the the assassin targets and these these various captains in in Mordor feel like more than just pixels on the screen. They fe- they felt like they had some character and some stuff. And so like I would have loved to have seen some things like that where you know if you do jobs for the voodoo boys, the triad you know the the triads will put out a hit on you, and you have and you have to watch yourself when you go into triad territory. And oh, there was a lot of stuff that they promised that just didn't come through. the The biggest issue I had with the gameplay was that it's basically Far Cry Night City. Um, the 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 shooting reminded me very much of Far Cry, just not quite as good or tight. Um, and I think my I think the biggest thing is that other games have done it better you know we've deus we've had deus ex we've had gta we've had dishonored and we've had prey all of these you know dishonored and and prey have done a better job of giving the player choices on how to solve problems and how to how to mold the experience around their own their own uh agency and then gta does a better job of creating the the big digital world, the big digital city that you can drive around in that responds to you. And Deus Ex, I think, was just a better RPG. So let's get into that point. It, it, Cyberpunk wasn't really an RPG. <laughs> so and they they knew that. So there's there is that point that have been it's been spoken about in other blogs where the marketing did kind of subtly change from RPG to action adventure. They they did near the end kind of admit that's what you were getting and 
guess a lot of people are going back and in retrospect they can see that but i certainly thought i was getting an rpg yeah and then i got an action adventure and it was a fun action adventure we can talk for this entire pod about how it was a good action adventure but i think the reason we're beating up on here is it's not what we were expecting yeah well and i mean it well it again and this goes back to the marketing point that expectations matter like expectations the marketing set a lot of expectations that the game didn't deliver and i think that's the biggest thing that we disliked about it is it's again it's not that what was delivered was a bad game it was a broken game but it wasn't a bad game it just wasn't what was promised like the skill trees i so i i was a guest on the literate gamer podcast not too long ago and we talked about one of my favorite games of all time dishonored which is a fantastic ip um and i i talked about it a little bit on that podcast and i'm gonna steal my own thunder and repeat myself here my biggest issue with the skill trees in cyberpunk is that they felt inconsequential like i put some points into the skill tree but then after a while i just stopped doing it like i just didn't care because most of the skills in the skill tree are just you know minus five percent uh recoil or better plus five percent damage with smgs or you know plus this boost to that like it, it they didn't feel one of the things dishonored does exceptionally well is when you when you pick a skill in dishonored there are fewer nodes in the tree but each node is more meaningful so when you put a point into a into a node in the skill tree in dishonored it really changes the way you play the game from that point on Whereas I felt like the skill tree in, in Cyberpunk was kind of filler. It was there because someone said, oh, hey, we need to have a skill tree. And they didn't really know what to put in it. So they just put a bunch of like mathematical stat shenanigans. Yeah. They, they clearly... So I'll say I'm, I'm almost never a fan of skill trees in general because in, in some games, I'll park back to, to WoW back when it had a more complicated skill tree. There's always a meta. There's always a a specific way you're supposed to do it to get the the max deeps or max healing or what max health whatever and if you deviate from that you know you're a scrub and the internet hates you so sometimes it's just the illusion of choice uh in in the case of cyberpunk what i kind of dislike about it is you've got the attributes and then you got the perk points i i don't mind perks because you're leveling them up by using that so that's totally cool but with the attributes being as it is, you you will at some point have to choose that your character is going to focus on a few things and neglect a few things. And to me, that's that's padding to make you want to go back and redo it. And I kind of like the idea of, and this goes back to me, I guess, like in easy mode, but I would like my character at some point to, if I put enough hours into my main character, the, the one game save I have, I'd like to be able to have all those attributes maxed, all those perks maxed. Um, they, they did Im implement something with, uh, like, you can you can reset certain ones. Uh, I think it's like 100 grand. So, like, if you put all your money into revolvers or your, your points into revolvers, you can eventually go back and do assault rifles. But, you know, I'd kind of like to just have both. I don't want to have to respec, reskill, because I decide I want to try out this epic new revolver I made just because I've been pretty much around assault rifles since. So, you know, the skill tree, the fact that's even there cool i think the implementation's poor they definitely padded like you said there's some options there that really what does it even do for you and you can also see you know i'm, I'm actually looking because i was trying to get some notes so i'm looking at a, a screenshot of the the skill tree and now you can see at the bottom 
there's a blank spot. So there was probably more that they had planned that completely just got cut. And you see, there's a Reddit meme already about you know if you anytime you feel useless, look at this one. There's that perk for you know a undetectable while swimming. Well, great. I definitely need to put a point into that one. That would have made a big difference in this game. That was sarcasm for people who don't know that the the game has almost no swimming in it, and so a perk that makes you undetectable while swimming is effectively wasted. Um, but yeah, so Very I mean. Much. I like skill trees. I just want better ones, if that makes sense. Again, I go back to Dishonored. I highly encourage everybody to play Dishonored. Um, it frequently goes on sale, and you can buy like the whole collection for like 30 bucks. It's some of the best gaming in the last decade, easily. Um, the second one especially. Uh, so I always encourage people to play that game. But um, I like skill trees. I just like them done well. And I didn't think this game did it well. So let's talk about brain dances. Because both of us agreed that they were kind of a missed opportunity, but we both had different solutions for it. So what was your solution to the brain dances? So my solution to the brain dances is kind of a cop-out. I see what they were trying to do here. I think I do. They, they would have been cool. But the implementation, I there was never a quest that included a brain dance function that I consider that it made it better. It was anything other than tedious. I think brain dances probably just could have been a, a really well done cutscene, and I would have lost absolutely nothing from it. Probably gained it. Uh, in the same time, I'm sure that if they had made brain dances cutscenes, then they would have caught you know no end of grief for that as well. But brain dances are probably just one more thing that they had really really grand ambitions for. And at some point, the you know cold harsh reality just punched them in the face, and they probably just dialed it back as you can see brain dances are you know they they're very large part of that that first main quest and then some of the side quests that were clearly you know planned earlier had a lot of brain dance stuff in them but near the end i mean they start kind of petering out as well as i think the game designers realize that this is really going nowhere this isn't a helpful mechanic so i would have just you know if if, it, if they're going to be like this should have been a cutscene. just write it out guys same thing you did with with wall climbing yeah, see, my thing is I think the brain dances were too linear. Um, they effectively almost guided you too much into finding the things you needed to find. I would have liked to have seen the brain dances. I would have liked to have seen something where, like, if you, um, like, let's say you free, your, your character gets hired to do some freelance investigation investigative work for the police or something, and you do you, the brain dances are you find murder victims and you do brain dances to to try and find the serial killer or something something along those lines, where effectively if you miss clues, then the serial killer takes another victim, and effectively there there is some agency to the player. Or alternatively, as you do brain dances, there is stuff that if you find it, it unlocks other side quests or it unlocks other things. It opens up other doors for you as a player. Um, I think the biggest issue I had with the, the brain dance is that each brain dance that you do in the game has uh, a very specific point, and effectively un they're they're around until you hit that point, and then once you get that point, they're done, and there's no point there there there's no reason to be in them anymore, and you you move on. And I feel like that was a very very lost or, or a missed opportunity. Um, I just realized for the audience people who don't, haven't played the game, brain dances are um, kind of like an immersive VR thing where your character goes into the memories 
of other people. And you can literally see other people's memories from and experience them from their perspective. So it's like this weird, cool thing where you can, you know, share all kinds of crazy stuff from the perspective of someone else and you get to feel it like you were them. Um, yeah, real VR with their emotions and everything. Yeah. yeah I, th I think we started this pod with the assumption that everyone had played yeah. cyberpunk. So. Uh, I, I know, but I got, I got, I got to try and do the whole, uh, context for people. Um, I don't feel that we disagree on brain dances then because my solution was if you're not going to make them any good, just make them a cutscene. And your solution was why not just make them good? Yeah, that's, and that's fair. I like your solution a lot. Why not just make them good? Um, they didn't. So cutscene yeah. away. Um, and then I think the last thing I wanted to mention is I think, and, and you can, you can fill this out more. I felt like most, what I really wanted from this game is more stuff and, and for, forgive me. I wanted more stuff like Skyrim in the sense that Skyrim, one of the things that Skyrim did and Oblivion before it and Morrowind, I love the guild quests in Skyrim, like the companions, when you join the companions and then you have like a lengthy side quest as you explore the lore of the companions and you learn about them and you go through their ranks. And then the same thing, there was the, the thieves guild, and then the Dark Brotherhood and the Mages Guild, you know, the, like each of the guilds had their own lengthy quests that were really well written and really well uh, executed. And I felt like the closest thing to that in this game was the stuff you do with Pan Am, where it's like a multi-part, decently well-written sort of quest line that expands i mean i guess judy had that there, there was some stuff with judy too okay so maybe i take that back maybe i'm being too hard maybe there was well, some some well, good you're, stuff you're right um it was there but you know the, all that it could have been more and that's you know they'll chisel that on this game's tombstone it could have been more yeah the I, judy I guess. stuff could have led to more with uh, the mocks pan am stuff yeah you you get good with the alicados and i mean what do you get out of that basically the your end game message that you get's a little bit happier because they like you yeah you know and each fixer is or not each but i think the majority of fixers are kind of aligned with one of the gangs so there would have been there could have been should have been more of an opportunity to as you mentioned earlier you know choose ally ally with some gangs yeah or just go straight up to war with some gangs or something like that and certainly i i bet that that was an intention at some point early in development that just didn't get implemented yeah and then finally, oh yeah, we're 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 going for the the big one on this one. Let's talk um, real quick on the story. I think we both agreed that a lot of the core characters in the story are kind of unlikable, um, and unfortunately, a lot of the likable characters either die or are just don't have enough run don't have don't get enough screen time. Um, is there anything else you want to add on that? So it's. I think you know more about the cyberpunk genre than I do. So I, I as you had mentioned um, in previous discussions we had, it is kind of a theme here that no, no real good guys. It's all kind of a downer. And I, I get that that's aligned with the genre, but scrub gamer that I may be, I would like some happy endings options. You know, I would like the, op the ability to actually form some alliances, have something more than just kind of, getting punched in the face repeatedly yeah i mean and, yeah. yeah cyberpunk's very nihilistic as a genre 
Um, the it, it there's a lot of it's derived from noir and film noir, so everyone's playing an angle, everyone is working somebody. So there, that that part is is kind of to be expected. Um, but yeah, you I, can do I, that, but climb to the top and take it over and be you know the the successful gangster. All right, well, we'll call uh, it GTA again. You know, it's everyone's pretty much everyone's bad in a GTA game, but you can win the beat the game. Yeah, uh, uh, GTA Four, not really, and that's why a lot of people didn't like it. I, I think that the big thing they just they needed is is the the few likable characters that they had just needed more screen time, and unfortunately, some of the core some of the characters who were core to the plot, like Keanu Reeves, Johnny Silverhand, are kind of unlikable assholes, and it basically so that makes it kind of hard to connect sometimes with the core story because you're basically following these people that you don't like to find out more about them when you already don't like them so it's like a, it's kind of yeah, a catch let's off props here how far are we in the recording and we just now mentioned keanu reeves uh i think we're like 35 36 minutes 37 minutes so yeah good for you i think we win a point you know um he he got so much attention but i I think kind of one of our conclusions for this would be you can you can state like the game was good until keanu showed up and you'd kind of be right but there's there's a lot more to it and the foundation that the game like him showing up didn't break anything that wasn't already broken he just got all the attention now for the silverhand character you stop playing too quick because it part of the game dynamic that isn't really bad part of the story is kind of taking him from yeah from when you stop playing the game yeah Johnny's just a, a jerk and eventually you do build a real working relationship with him too depending on some things truly a friendship okay. and by the end of the game you guys have kind of right. get along and actually start looking out for each other and stuff so he has a decent character arc i would say Okay. All right. Then I then I will I will I will sheathe my sword on that regard. Um, let's. Yeah. I, I think the thing about Keanu is that he obviously got a lot of attention because it's Keanu Reeves. Absolutely. I don't. I, and this is gonna sound horrible saying this. I wasn't in love with his performance as Johnny Silverhand. Like it was fine, but I also think there are a number of other actors who could have done it and done just as good a job or done a better job like i don't I, I don't feel like he owned the character quite um in the way that i think we were hoping for you know because no, it's a great fit because keanu plays a, a likable person in has he ever played like just truly a yeah he, a jerk he, in he it? he's he's played some villains and done some some like uh and some smaller projects but yeah he, he on, the the big thing is that as a person apparently even in real life keanu reeves is is an incredibly likable guy and so it's very he he's it, he it, it, there's a little bit of that that dissonance where it's like it's keanu reeves i like him oh wait he's being a jerk and that's one more thing the game sold us on and any i think of the the commercials leading up to the game you really get the impression that keanu reeves is the the likable sidekick or that he's guiding you on the adventure you know come on we gotta say to burn it seems like you're on you definitely don't have an idea of what the actual relationship with with Keanu is going to be from the marketing material. No, you don't, and so it comes as kind of a jolting, like "Whoa, okay, like, wait, what?" Yeah. yeah, and it just it it, it it it's not like so. There are even in gaming, like both in. I mean, obviously there are are roles that people do in film that you 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 know someone just owns a character or, or really just 
does such a great job that you're you're blown away by the actor's uh, portrayal of the character. But there's there's stuff like that in games too. Like I remember Far Cry Three. I forget the actor's name. I apologize, but the guy who plays Vaz in Far Cry Three, that dude owns that role. Like you can't take your eyes off him. And I would argue even Troy Baker in Far Cry Four playing the villain Pagan Min, you know he's hilarious he's amazing you you he's electric you just want him to be on the screen because he's so over the top and and just it there, there's so much charisma oozing out of him and i just didn't get that from johnny and keanu or keanu as johnny in this game so but then again i also admitted that i didn't finish the game so feel free to roast me in the comments or whatever uh but uh can't uh yeah. Good way to encourage engagement there. Well yeah, done. yeah. So let's let's move on. Um, we have here in the notes that there isn't much of an end game, but it's not being pitched as an MMO or a game as a service. So I don't know if I view that as a bad thing. But I guess I wanted some replayability and something. You know, it's you finish the final mission and spit you back out just before the final mission says, "Atta boy, you you got a free reward or something." I never quite figured out what it was in my inventory that I got as a free reward either. And you're just kind of like, all right, whatever. I mean, you, you barely have a sense that you've had a material impact on the city when you get spit out. Now, if you could go back to your, you know, legendary mansion that you built along the game or, you know, do all the things that you can do when you, say, reach the top of a GTA, there's there's stuff to do, there's fun to be had. But even when, you know, the, those uh, those gigs, those side quests, they don't, they're, they're not auto-generated, they don't respawn, so... Yeah. Kind of once I beat, you know, I, I did. You, you have the option to replay that last mission as many times as you want to see all the different endings, get all your, you know, trophies or whatever if you're one of the gamers who's into that. But at, really, as soon as you beat it, it's kind of like, all right, made all these cool guns, got some cars. Yeah. What? And that's and that goes back to the RPG thing. Cause like, I don't know if you've ever played the Mass Effect games, but the original Mass Effect trilogy. Well, up until the end of the third one, but we're not even going to talk about that. Especially Mass Effect 1 in particular did a really great job of, at numerous moments throughout the game, you're given incredibly difficult choices that you have to make, um, like, and they have big repercussions throughout the game. Like, for example, at one point in Mass Effect, you have to choose which of your crew members is going to stay behind to die and detonate a bomb manually. And there's no way to get out of it. There's no way to like, aha, I pulled the magic card and I save everybody. No, like that, that it's a, it's a choice you cannot get out of. And it has lasting repercussions for the story because obviously whatever character you choose to do that, whatever character you choose dies and then they are not there for the rest of the game, which means you're missing out on conversations, you're missing out on interaction, you're missing out on story beats. So that creates a little bit of a, a, a replayability because you can go back and make that choice differently down the game uh, or down down the line. Uh, and I didn't get the sense that this game had as much of that, like where, where there were big moments where you have to choose something really important and, you know... Yeah, not really. I yeah. mean... For the final mission, you know, choosing who you, who you take along with has material impact on pretty much the, you know, there's one post-final mission mission each time that's allowing you to wrap up the storyline, showing the direction your character went, and each one of those kind of going to be different based on that, and then, again, we're, spoiler alert, we're assuming everyone's played the game, it's practically old history at this point, so the secret ending with Keanu Reeves based on 
essentially your relationship level with him and how well you've gotten along, that's the only one that I think there's a sort of material impact, but that's really based on some some conversational choices that I don't quite get why they're such a big deal. Yeah, well, so and, overall, not really. Yeah, yeah and, and we, we commented offline that, you know, CE Projects done that before. A lot of the endings in Witcher 3 were hinged on weird, weird, seemingly random conversation choices that you'd make throughout the game were somehow really important for the ending. Um, so let's get into the bugs because we managed to make it 44 minutes without actually like blasting the game for the bugs. So I encountered just a little hanging fruit. So again, yeah, just like with Keanu, I'm proud of us. Yeah. I, I encountered a lot of bugs. I didn't encounter any, um, I didn't encounter any, um, what's it called? Uh, game breaking bugs per se. Like I didn't have any quests that, um, broke and I couldn't progress. I couldn't progress the story. Um, but I didn't. That's it. Like the, the sentient, uh, vending machine you mentioned yeah somehow that one bugged out and i never actually got to play it and that's supposedly one of the good ones so i'm, I'm a little salty about that yeah i didn't encounter any of those i what i got were a lot of the the i just got a lot of glitches i got a lot of broken ai um i would watch npc and ai cars just stop in the like traffic just stop even though the lights were green no cars would move it just they'd sit there and cause traffic jams and cars would run into each other and it would just be a, a, a cluster um, I encountered a lot of uh, glitches, like characters glitching through other characters and things. And the thing about the the T-posing, I got the naked T-posing on the motorcycle and, and some of that stuff. And, and I mentioned it up above the immersion thing. Um, the big thing about the... Uh, the big thing about that that really just, you know, kills me is that the game hinges on atmosphere and immersion... And it's very, very hard to be immersed in a important story beat when halfway through the conversation, the character's cigarette just starts floating by itself in midair. And it sounds like the dumbest, most inconsequential thing. But again, if the gameplay was at the level that I think it aspired to be, it wouldn't be as big of an issue. But because the gameplay was not quite where we feel like it, we wanted it to be, that meant that the game then has to rely on selling you into the world and that immersion and all that stuff. And so then when the immersion breaks because of a bug or a glitch or a character, you know, T-posing into another character or floating magic cigarettes and stuff it just it ruins the moment because now you're no longer immersed and i would argue that genuinely has it it genuinely ruined my ability to enjoy the game yeah uh i i would care of, of my issues the glitches are near the bottom because i really feel like i would be much more forgiving and sympathetic to any glitches if i had a, a story that i really liked or had the rpg elements i was really after but once the game reached the point where it's leaning on, but I'm pretty, aren't I? Then those glitches need to not be there. Yeah. And definitely the the, the bare ass T posing while I'm driving my vehicle in what's supposed to be a consequential consequential mission does take a lot of the effect out of it. Yeah, and I, I think that that's the big thing. It's like if if your movie relies on special effects, 
the special effects have to be perfect. If your game relies on atmosphere and immersion, then you can't have super janky AI and, you know, people clipping through walls and stuff. Like it just, it, 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 it's, it, it, it's just, that's the way it is. Um, and that, that, that was ultimately the biggest thing, uh, for me. Um, real quick, let's roll through some stuff we were kind of undecided on and then let's get into what we think happened, or at least what I think happened. I'll give my, my best, uh, my best BS, um, length. A lot so, of, pe- a lot of people felt like Witcher no. 3 was too long. I know you don't agree. So let, let's hear what you think. So. All right, Witcher 3 was not too long for me on the initial playthrough because I was immersed. I was engaged in the game, had a great time. There were certainly sections that may have gone a little slower, dragged maybe a strong word, but I think the game also did a good job of breaking up the main quest line with enough side quest monster hunter type stuff to you know, initial playthrough. You know, I, I loved it. Um, definitely always felt like I was getting my money's worth. I will say that when I started a new game plus that's when it hit me you know even the quest lines that you really like even the start of bloody baron or stuff like that you know what you're in for now and you know when you're about to start this great quest line you're just like all right let's uh let's book six hours and uh, knock this out so witcher 3 was a long game i do not call it a too long game because i didn't feel that it was padded um it, i i was a kind of an early bail from assassin's creed odyssey so there's a chance that all the game in there is good but i've heard that a lot of that's that's example of game is kind of deliberately far longer than it has to be and i think you might have played more odyssey than i did so you can comment on that but now for witcher 3 it was a very long game but you could you know get to mission to mission things were going on i didn't feel like it was a, a slow game even though it was long so yeah long game roger that major time investment but i I'm not. I'm definitely not going to complain about the length of Witcher Three. I, I thought it was great. Uh, I think Witcher Three was too long. I think okay. Witcher Three is a great game, but the fact that it takes you five to six hours just to get out of the tutorial area, and then there's the whole section of Novigrad. And I know this is a personal thing. I absolutely despise Novigrad, and that is my least favorite part of the game. And it's a solid five to ten hours that you have to do before you can go to Skellige and continue the story. I, I think I think Witcher 3's big thing is that I just I found the story was too broken up. Um, I my personal playstyle, I prefer to charge through and finish the story. Especially if the story, like in the case of Witcher 3, the story is trying to sell you that, you know, series in danger. And so you have to get to her quickly. So then making me stop to play Pokemon cards or whatever, that ruins the immersion for me. So yeah, I, 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 I want to the exact same thing there. So that's, yeah, I wanted to run through the story quickly and then kind of wrap up the story and then go be a monster hunter and then go be, you'd go explore the world and do the side quest. That's the way I like to play. My girlfriend's the opposite. She likes to do everything uh in she's the opposite where she doesn't when she's done with the game she wants to be done she she doesn't want the story to finish until she's done with the game and so it's funny because she noted she felt that witcher 3 was was dragged a bit for her um which is interesting and it gets into it all comes back to the whole 
people have different tastes. My girlfriend has over 300 hours in Breath of the Wild. I didn't make it past 10. I just couldn't get into that game, which I know someone's going to burn my house down for saying that. I think it's a good game, but I just couldn't get into it. Meanwhile, oh, I had the same problem. Meanwhile, Breath she, of the Wild didn't grab me. Yeah, it didn't grab me. Meanwhile, she put 300 hours into it. And she still thinks it's one of her favorite games of all time. Hey, you know, it happens. Um, so it's a matter of, of, of taste. But I just think it's interesting. So I would have liked... I, I think Witcher 3 was too long, so I understand why they made Cyberpunk a little bit shorter. That's where yeah, we... Yeah, Cyberpunk was designed for you. Cyberpunk yeah. was designed like, here, you want to knock this game out, I think you can get through the main quest line sub-30 hours. Yeah. Now, that does affect... You know, you get the, the, the vanilla options. There's very little impact... So I think that the length of Cyberpunk, you know, my complaint is really I want more random material, more more stuff to just go out and do after the game. But as far as the length of the game proper, I think they had a great balance of if you just want to knock out the main quest line for whatever reason, you can do that quick. Yeah. But well, all the side content is material, so you can make it a 130, 150-hour game without, you know, doing anything that's just a complete waste as well. So I... I think they did a good job with how they built the, or at least how they approached length of the game for Cyberpunk. Yeah, I would agree. I think, I mean, my big thing, again, people forget that you can complete the first Mass Effect game in 30 hours, and that has a ton of content and a ton of choices to make. So I, I don't, I, I'm I'm one of those people that I refuse, I don't associate length with a, with being good. Like I, in fact, as, a, as someone who has a lot of responsibilities and does not have the time for every game to be 200 hours like it drives me nuts when i play something like i mean and i really liked assassin's creed odyssey i really did until i got to about 50 hours and then it i just hit a wall and i lost all interest in playing it and i understand other people aren't like that other people have really enjoy it and sink their time into it and like that experience but you know unfortunately we're adults and we have responsibilities and we're not, you know, Twitch streamers who can play video games all day. It, 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 if only. Yeah, if only. I don't know. I think I'd get tired of video games too. Um, bu- 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 let's, yeah, let's talk. Uh, I'm going to skip that, the, the, the second bullet there, because I don't think that's really, we can add that much. I, I do want to talk about one thing before we get into what happened. Well, actually, no, let's just get into what happened. I'll move this to the end. Um so what happened um to cyberpunk now i'm gonna go ahead and say this right off the bat this is pure speculation at this point i am speculating based on what i've read what research i've done my own knowledge of software development and project management and it just so from here on out if people want to if people want to end the podcast we're done talking about the game as a game and we're going to speculate onto what happened on the game's development. So if people want to check out and don't want to hear my BS, feel free. But just fair warning, three, two, one, let's go. This is when it'll get interesting. I'm yeah. sticking around. Okay. Well, so I think one thing that we have to talk about real quick is that people looked. A lot of people have commented similarly to Mass Effect Andromeda, similarly similarly to Anthem. People have said like, oh cyberpunk was in development for seven years well how did this happen well it wasn't actually in development for seven years 
because CD Projekt Red is not that big of a developer. They are large, but compared to someone like uh, some of the Ubisoft studios, they're still very small. Um, and so Cyberpunk was announced in 2013 for whatever reason, but the actual development of Cyberpunk, like the core, all hands on deck, everybody's working on Cyberpunk, did not kick off until after the second Witcher 3 DLC had been shipped. So after Blood and Wine. And that was like 2016, maybe, 2017. So there's a there was a three-year period where other than some concept art and maybe some some ideas, they were not actually working on the game, at least not in the way that people think of when they think of game development. So one thing to remember is that this was not a seven-year development game. It was really closer to a three-year development game, maybe four. Now, that in and of itself doesn't excuse everything. So let's talk about the concept of tech debt and engine choices and engine stability and all the, the all this 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 tech stuff. And I'm going and I'm going to simplify stuff as best I can and again take everything I say with a grain of salt because I don't claim to be an expert on this at all. My understanding is one of the things you want to do is lock your technology in as quickly as possible. When I did a project with a a, develop, a game development project with a team and we used Unity. And one of the first things we did is we decided what version of Unity we wanted to use. And then once we had decided that, we locked it down. Like nobody updates Unity from here on out. It doesn't matter what new features are added or what kind of crazy hotness gets thrown out there or how the world changes. You don't change the engine because effectively having that stable foundation, having that stable engine to work off of is essential because that allows the designers to work on the game. That allows them to actually design the quests, the story, the gameplay, like what, how, the features, all that stuff. Trying to evolve your engine while building a game happens more often than it should and it, it makes it makes it an already incredibly difficult process damn near impossible. So the analogy that's constantly used is that building developing a game is kind of like trying to drive a car at high speed while paving the road directly in front of it. Or or the other analogy I've heard is a train. You know, you're you're trying to you're you're a high speed train going down the tracks while you're laying the tracks out directly in front of the train. Trying to develop a game with a changing technology base is like trying to build a car while driving on the Autobahn while also trying to pave the road in front of you. It's just too many things going at once. And if you look at, it's very clear, like, you know, you look at Witcher 3, CD Projekt Red uses their own engine, the Red Engine. And the Red Engine was built around Witcher 3, effectively, at that point. Witcher 3 is a medieval third-person action RPG. So it's a third-person camera, it's melee combat, and its setting is lush Polish, effectively, ecology, uh, ecology sort of Polish uh, um, hills and trees and medieval cities and whatnot. Cyberpunk is a first-person, gun-based, 
futuristic, it's a completely different setting. It's a completely different perspective. It's a completely different combat mechanic. And there's a reason big studios like Ubisoft, like for example, Ubisoft has two primary engines that they use, three actually, but Ubisoft uses uh, three engines for the most part. They use the Anvil engine, which is what they use for all their Assassin's Creed games. So all their third-person adventure games, for the most part, run on Anvil. And then they use an engine called the Dunia engine for all their Far Cry games. And then they use the Snowdrop engine for all of, for the Division. So they're, they're kind of third-person MMOE cover shooter things. And the reason they do this is it allows the technology to be specialized. It allows them to tailor the game's engines to the game that they're trying to deliver. Because while it's not impossible to use sort of a, a, a generic engine or an engine that is not was not purposely designed, it makes it a lot easier if you know that effectively, if you know right off the bat that you're, you've got a lot of, your team is, you know, the Far Cry team are going to be experts in first-person shooting. Like that's something, they're going to hire people with experience in first-person shooting. And that's where their, their, their sort of skill set is going to be. And so that makes that engine extremely good at delivering that big open world first-person shooting experience. Um, taking an engine like the red engine and effectively turning it on its head and saying okay we're going to use the same technology but we're going to make it a vastly different game that means that they have to do a lot of reprogramming they have to do a lot of rebasing they have to do a lot of customization that's generally something you want to do up front get it out of the way and then be done you don't want to be doing that late in development where ideal wherever ideally where that english where it's ideal and yet from what i can almost with almost certainly tell you that's exactly what they were doing they were constantly changing the engine i mean the fact that they integrated the ray tracing the rtx i mean rtx was not a thing until 2017 2018 at least as far as consume in the consumer gaming market so that would have been integrated into the engine very late. And it just, it, the basic thing is there's a concept in software development of tech debt that effectively, if you keep kind of slapping stuff together with duct tape, eventually you have to go back, tear off all the duct tape and put it together for real. But in projects like this, what happens is people just keep using more duct tape, more duct tape, more duct tape, just to get it out, the, to, to get closer to the finish line. And if you're lucky, it all, it all works. And if you're not, it all kind of falls apart as you get out the door because that, that I'll fix it later becomes I'll fix it never. And then it ends up being in the final game. And it's pretty clear from the state of the game that this game needed at least another year, probably two, of development time before it came to market. And... There's just, there's, you can't, you can't outbeat, you can't, you can't do, I mean, <laughs> you can't outbeat, the, you can't outrun it, so. Okay, from a, a non-coder question, and this is definitely going to be one of those, if you know, you know, and if you, you don't, whatever, Um, the, the graphical issues and all that, is that tied to the engine issues, or is that something separate? I, I'm thinking engine's more like the gameplay and controls and handling. 
but is that also tied to the, the graphical issues? Well, an engine is a toolkit. It is basically... So, I mean, like, like for example, like, every engine, you know, most modern game engines run on, like, for example, the uh, run on API, uh, which is designed to help developers get stuff out there faster. Um, the engine is basically just a toolkit. Every engine comes with things like a physics. It's basically all the pieces of what make a game. So you've got your physics, like, you know, how you control gravity and movement and things, your controls, your rendering, you know, does your engine, you know, what order and what rendering techniques does your engine support? Uh, what kind of lighting, what kind of shadows, all that kind of stuff. The idea is that you take care of all that and then you put it into a toolkit that is effectively handed to the um, de the designers and then they don't have to worry about building that stuff. They can just go straight into making their game. And that's why the Unreal Engine is so powerful and popular with a lot of third-party developers is because Epic spends a ton of money and a ton of time hashing out all the nitty-gritty, um, all the math, all the, the, the matrix multiplication. Like I, I've built, so for, for my coursework, I've built a camera system from scratch, like a floating first-person shooter style camera system from scratch. It would make the average person's brain melt, the amount of math that is needed just to make a little camera, just, to, just so you can look around with the mouse. The amount of math that is being done every time you turn the mouse is staggering. So what an engine does is it allows you it, it allows you to kind of encapsulate that functionality and you don't have to keep reinventing it. It allows you to reuse those pieces. It allows you to to pass it along. So um the graphic when you say the graphical glitches, are you talking about like the T posing bugs and stuff? Yeah, that's that's what I guess the first thing that comes to mind. And then we have those issues with uh, cars flying off into uh, driving through through medians and driving through barriers and I guess the flying cigarettes as well. So we'll just say all of them. Yeah, and, and a lot of that is tied to effectively a code base that is duct taped together. So that's stuff. the stuff you're seeing is what happens when code is not syncing correctly. So obviously there is code that handles a car, you know, driving down the road. And then there is code that handles gravity. You know, is gravity on? Is there inertia on the vehicle? How fast is the vehicle moving? And then when you have those two intersect, if something is broken, if something has not been integrated correctly, then you get weird shit, quite frankly. Like I remember one of the bugs I ran into frequently is if I picked up a body and then put it down, instead of my character just putting it down gently, my character would throw it with like the force of Superman to a point that the body would explode. That's a bug. Like that that's awesome. a, that's that's an example of the physics engine is not talk not communicating correctly with the environment and the other elements that are going on in the game. So I mean again I don't and I, I don't want to sound like I'm beating up on CD Projekt and the Red Engine. I'm not. I'm not like the Red Engine, as we can see, as we've seen from Witcher Three. Gorgeous game, really well done. Even CD uh, Cyberpunk, gorgeous game has a lot going for it. 
But the thing is, if you look, CD, uh, CD Projekt uses a lot of middleware, which is sort of software that's designed to allow you to just kind of bolt on functionality to another code base. So they use a lot of third-party middleware, middleware solutions for things like AI. And in Witcher 3, they used a software called SpeedTree to help them draw the trees for the forest and stuff. And if you don't have enough, if you don't give your engineers enough time to go through and kind of go through the weeds and sort everything out, you get craziness, which is what we see in cyberpunk. Like there are all those videos of cars just like flying off into the air and exploding in midair for no reason or, you know, things that are just, you know, shenanigans, if you will. Um, and it, a so lot of middleware question about that yeah for there's a lot of mechanics uh, i'll pick vehicle handling as a example because it's pretty glaring mechanics that i think we've pretty well figured out how to design in video games and all the, the video game developers in the world may have just risen up as a collective consciousness to screw me for that but i i feel like that's established and should be pretty good i mean games that have been out for over a decade have figured out how to drive a car in a pretty controllable manner so if if CD Projekt is good at, or at least knows how to do middleware, how to bolt on things, why why is the vehicle handling as bad as it is? Why did they not simply buy if such things available? Like to there 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 do? may there may not be something specific that, that that that's very niche, and and I don't think there is something as specific as that available in middleware. I could be wrong. Um, you can't. It, it goes back to my the point I was ran, in my, my previous ramble where I was talking about how you hire and develop and acquire talent that has experience in certain fields. Um, so, for example, think about Criterion Games, um, the people who the the studio that built Burnout, the Burnout franchise, and then also worked on some of the best Need for Speed games, including Need for Speed Most Wanted, which is uh, or no, Need for Speed Hot Pursuit. I'm sorry, which is generally considered the best Need for Speed game ever. Criterion knows how to do fast arcade vehicle handling. Like that's just, that is what the studio does. So they have a lot of experience there. They have a lot of talent there. And so they, that skill set, tuning gameplay like that, that's where designers earn their money, being able to tune that stuff and make it feel good. Um, you know, God of War, the combat in God of War feels sublime. You can't sell that short because I'm sure we've all played games where the combat feels like third-person melee games where the combat feels janky. It's not easy. It's not easy to tune it to that level where it feels natural and just like an extension of the player. Um, that takes talent. And I'm not saying that CD Projekt doesn't have that talent, but if you don't... If you're building a game that isn't necessarily within the genre of of something or the scope of something you've done before, you really have two options. You either have to hire the talent, which means that you have to potentially buy them away from other studios and get them to come in and work on the game, or you have to give your own team enough time to develop that feel and that talent. And that's really about it. There's no quick patch that you can be like, oh, hey, let's just grab that. You know, Grand Theft Auto has great vehicle driving. We'll just grab their code 
and throw it in our game. It doesn't. It doesn't work like that. The best they could have hoped for is like, hey, let's hire some of the, let's hire some of the people that worked on the Grand Theft Auto driving to to work on our game. Okay. So then talking about money or you know buying talent, great. Is there a certain point where we could say, hey, X number of dollars from this obnoxious marketing budget should have been put to hiring more developers or, or train or outsourcing or something? Or do we have issues in the, the planning, the foundation where marketing money, I mean, I know you have to market, you have to spend money. They were ambitious. They definitely probably marketed more than they needed to. I know that you can't just expect everyone to know the game's awesome and do a you know, sneak release or something like that, but do we can we look right at this and say you spend money on marketing that you should have spent on development and this would have been good if you what cut marketing in half or is it really just no kind of the foundation no. was there already and there was, it was already downhill no i don't think so because again marketing budgets and development budgets i mean there there is overlap obviously but uh, but i think at, at the end of the day i think the biggest thing for for cyberpunk is it needed more time um whether there were changes in scope or changes in leadership that led to less developed, I guess less efficient development, I don't know. But the game just needs more time. And unfortunately in software, throwing bodies at a problem is not always a solution. You know, you, you can't just throw more engineers at a problem and expect it to be done faster. There's no kind of linear efficient curve or if you're or if you will of you know two engineers can do something twice as fast as one engineer you know it just doesn't work like that so i don't i, I do think the game at least the original vision for the game was overly ambitious for the team size uh, one thing people don't realize is that ubisoft has almost every ubisoft game that launches it has like a core studio that works on it but then they also have support studios that literally exist only to help the main studio knock things off the list and, and make it happen so like ubisoft um you know like even something like ubisoft uh um like the division, for example, the, the 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 bulk of the development on the division is handled by massive entertainment in Sweden, but Ubisoft has a team in North Carolina called Ubisoft Redstorm, and they did a lot of work on the division. Um, uh, Assassin's Creed, you know, they'll have Ubisoft Quebec or Ubisoft Montreal take point, but then they'll have teams as far as Shanghai and you know other and Sofia and other studios that will work on specific things or work on dlc or help kind of uh you know sort of bring everything together and ubisoft employs an army of producers to kind of manage this project these projects it's why like if you look at the credits on like an assassin's creed game it's like over a thousand people across you know all seven continents if you will and cd project red i believe at their largest was only about 500 people now outsourcing has become more popular in the industry where they they outsource and fr to freelancers and, and whatnot so cd project red might have only been 500 people and they might have had 700 people working on the game total because they outsourced and free hired freelancers we don't really know but at the end of the day in terms of for the scope of the game they were building i still think they were um they were uh they didn't they were probably still too small and also they probably didn't have the right combination of experience and 
yeah, I'll, I'll go with, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Cause I, I don't, again, I don't want to speak ill of the company because I think they're, you know, they're a company like any other. So I, I think this was a, obviously this was a challenging project. Just um, super ambitious and lesson learned, I guess. Yeah. But again, like I said, the, the big thing is that you, you just, where at all possible, you try to lock things in. Like it just, it's one of these things that too many moving pieces is just a headache. It's just, a, it just, you you can't you have to make decisions certain decisions early and then you have to stick to them um because project project management is hard in general project management and software is a nightmare um and it just yeah you can't you can never you can never replace time and you can never replace expertise i think those are two things that just you can't get around um the last yeah the last thing i, I want to talk about is and i think this is my only real criticism of all of this is that cdpr knew something was wrong like you can look at how they handled the reviews they knew something was wrong um for those that don't know the review copies were sent out to review outlets they only sent pc copies they didn't send any playstation or xbox codes the reviewers were not allowed to use any of their own footage for the reviews. They had to use footage provided by CD Projekt Red, B-roll footage, basically. That is not, though. those kind of strict conditions tells us right away that this, the thing, the mea culpa they started pulling after the game launched about, oh, we had no idea that the console versions were in such a dire strait. Yeah. Yeah. really you you really i just don't understand how the the call could have been made like hey that's it we gotta push we know this and really think they're gonna be able to kind of claw that goodwill back well i, I mean yeah i mean i guess they were put in a point where they had to but i, I mean, mean our, our previous probably talked about why are you even launching on last gen hardware anyway but yeah so at some point looked at that mess and made that call i i don't get it well, they launched on the last gen hardware because PlayStation Four has sold 110 million co- or 110 million PlayStations, and they're not going to just pat. They're not just going to ignore that install base. 110 million potential customers. Pfft. Yeah, they're going to sell on that. But like I said in that previous podcast, there were some design decisions that they could have made, some compromises that they could have made to the game that would have made it run better on previous gen but that gives back to the ambitious part like they were they were really swinging for the fences and people forget cd project red has only made four games in the its entire history witcher one witcher two witcher three and cyberpunk that's it like in terms of like triple a big games and even witcher one and witcher two witcher one was definitely not triple a witcher two was kind of double a witcher three was their first like real triple a game and cyberpunk really is their second so they swung for the fences like really hard um and it just it 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 again i don't i never begrudge anyone for swinging for the fences and trying to do something new i think that's great the my only real criticism of the entity was how they handled the pr like the the fact that they they clearly knew the game was in a very bad state when they sent it to reviewers based on how much how the NDAs and how aggressively they tried to control what reviewers could and couldn't show. 
and then to then try and pretend like, oh my gosh, we had no idea it was this bad. We didn't encounter any of these problems in testing. Yes, you, yeah, they did. Like they absolutely did. It's just that at some point, an executive decision was made that the game needed to ship because it had been, again, CD Projekt Red had, has nothing else other than uh, GOG, their, their game distribution platform. You know, they basically had Witcher 3 and GOG. The irony, of course, is that Witcher 3 was selling like crazy again. It enjoyed a, a nice boost because of the Netflix Witcher series that people saw, people watched the, 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 the Netflix series and then either one went back and did a second playthrough of Witcher 3 or if they hadn't previously bought it, they bought a copy because sales of Witcher 3 spiked like aggressively after the Netflix series launched. I'm amazed so, there were copies of Witcher 3 left to sell. Well, I mean, yeah, but it's one of those things where I just, I feel like if what I would have done is when, you know, when, and again, I'm just some random dude on the internet, but when I saw Witcher 3 sales suddenly spike and then enjoy a very, very profitable quarter because of Witcher 3 again, and when I and when they made the decision to bring in the RTX and get that sweet, sweet NVIDIA money uh, to, to make the game RTX capable, those two things together, I would have pushed the I would have pushed the launch date to like 2022. And 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 use those two to kind of buy them some time to finish the game fully. Because yeah, now the game's out. Obviously, it's been controversial. Obviously, it as, as we've co covered here in the last hour and some change, like it was not what either of us wanted or expected. So what do they do now? Can they fix it? I think they can. The, the real question is whether there will still be an audience for them after they do. Yeah, the um, has there... I, I've heard people talk about Cyberpunk Online, but I'll admit I never really followed all that. If there's an intention to kind of build it into a, you know, GTA Online, but but Cyberpunk, I can see them taking lessons learned and making a product that is really successful and kind of cash cow from that because we don't have to complain about the story. They can build simply exactly where after you know get your rep, grind your rep, have the awesome apartment, whatever. You know the the script, the storyline, the ideas for that are kind of in place. As far as the game itself, you know, that's it. You know, I, I've already moved on to other games. I, I, I think I got. I'm not mad. I'm not bitter. I got my 150. Uh, that's your it's good to hear. From you. I got my money's worth. You know, it was. But I'm. I don't feel like I need to go back right away. They have. They are talking about DLC. They're saying it's out there. And I'm going to reserve my final judgment kind of Theo. until those Theo, DLCs are deployed. I think they expect, uh, what, by, by summer or summer this year to get some DLCs out there. So if they manage to add more, you know, continuation story, I don't know how they're going to do that. I mean, pretty much every single main quest storyline ends with you're, you're here for all the six months. So I don't know if they're playing a new V or what, but... I think the best way to be successful at this point is probably going to be to find a way to just separate future game content from the main story as it is and just try to give us what we thought we were getting in the first place. And if they can do that with the two DLCs, 
they're saying they're going to be free, right? So I kind of can't give them any. Well, any well, game. I mean, no, I think I think they'll do something similar to Witcher Three, where there'll be a couple DLC things that are added that are free, like some smaller quests and stuff, and then the the expansion packs will cost more money. Like, like if you look at what Blood and Wine and Hearts of Stone brought to DLC or brought to Witcher Three, those were huge expansions. Like, Blood and Wine in and of itself is bigger than a lot of other games. So, like. I don't doubt that they'll deliver in terms of the DLC. Well, I'm afraid that I, I can't say that because I do doubt after Cyberpunk's initial launch. But there is DLC planned. Um, there was a multiplayer planned, and it will probably come eventually that they'll add a multiplayer element to it, and that will give the game some 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 legs because it would be fun to do heists and stuff with your friends. Um, there's there's always room for that kind of stuff. I'm always I'm always down for a good co-op game. I love co-op gameplay. But I think the biggest thing, the big damage is that ideally they would have been launching DLC right about now. And instead they're still the last patch notes I saw basically said that the next big stability patch is delayed. So they're still yeah, as to the ransomware issue that they had and I mean poor guys getting hit where they're down. They're still trying to they're they're still trying to fix the game, much less mm-hmm. deliver new content. And so, I think they will fix it, or at least they'll fix it enough that, that as much as they can. Because again, CD Projekt needs to fix it because they don't have anything else to fall back. They've shot their reputation, kind of. They've damaged their reputation tremendously with this, um, and they have to do the 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 redemption story for the future of the company. But it. Um, yeah, it, it it's it's definitely not going to be. It's definitely not what they anticipated. On that note, it has been an hour and twenty five minutes, so I think we have I think we have killed this. So, all right. Um, I apologize on uh, for the random dog barking. Uh, that was food getting delivered, and uh, my savage furry protector does not like it when people ring the doorbell so i apologize to the audience for the random dog dog bark in the middle there uh not, not a lot i can do with that one i'm sorry but uh anyway it's after 2020 i think a random dog barks in the background are expected part of uh any conversation yeah right yeah we'll so, go with that exactly so, on that so, note i think that's it thank you for listening uh i have been trevor i've been ken thank you all very much uh, we've enjoyed it and we'll catch you next time